0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. In our video comment section, we've already had a lot of interaction this morning as it relates to the two new coordinators being hired at Alabama. So you better believe on our show today, we're going to get to that here in a few minutes. A lot to say about that. I'm sure our guest today, the former Georgia All American, John Stinchcomb, will have plenty to say about that there as well. We'll get to that, though, coming up in a few minutes. I want to begin with a little bit on the Todd Munkin situation, and I want to make a few basic points here about what we know about Munkin right now. And then, if you don't mind, I want to make a slightly more abstract point there as well, and hopefully you can kind of follow me on all of this today. Uh, first of all, we have some new information. This kind of came out late Friday as we were wrapping up the show, uh, but it's new for us as far as beginning a show, something we did not talk about. In fact, on Friday's show, kind of made the pledge that I was going to try to be munken free on that show, and we almost made it through the entire broadcast uh, without bringing it up, but in our video comment section, the Todd and thing kind of got going there a little bit. And the reason why it did is because of a report coming from some of the NFL media types that Todd Munkin has had or is in the midst of having another interview with the Baltimore Ravens. Let me show you this on the screen here for a moment. This is coming from Mike, is it Garofalo, is I how you say it, Garofalo? Mike Garofalo from NFL.com, NFL Network says, the Ravens are interviewing Georgia offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach Todd Munkin, a second time today, sources say. Munkin is one of a handful of offensive coordinator candidates to get a second interview in Baltimore. He's also interviewed with the Buccaneers. So that was the situation that kind of came out on Friday. We talked a little bit about that with our video audience and maybe a brief thing on the podcast near the end of the show. But I wanted to talk about this a little bit more for a couple of minutes here for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I think a lot of people are going to have the same reaction to this that the situation in Baltimore. Potentially for Munkin, I would say feels a good bit different than the situation in Tampa does. You know, in Baltimore, you have an established head coach. John Harbaugh has won multiple Super Bowls there. He seems like he could probably coach there in Baltimore as long as he wanted to. Compare that to Todd Bowles. The situation in Tampa just feels a lot less permanent, uh, just given the the state of the uh, Bucks affairs right now. Uh, if you're a, a Munkin and you go to Tampa, another place that he's interviewed at, you may be looking for a job again next year because Todd Bowles could get fired. Uh, certainly, it'd be a surprise for, for Baltimore to ever move off of John Harbaugh, just given the success that he's had there, winning the Super Bowls that he's won. So that seems to be a favorable situation. Also, in Tampa, after the retirement of uh, Tom Brady, it sort of looks like Tampa doesn't really have a quarterback in place right now, whereas in Baltimore, and this is one of those things where I probably get myself in a little bit of trouble because I don't follow the NFL as closely as some of you do, I guess, am I saying this accurately if I say it seems more likely than not that Lamar Jackson comes back to the Ravens next season? I know there's the thought of him getting the franchise tag there. There's also been the thought that the Ravens might move on and uh, look to uh, you know kind of move on from Lamar Jackson. There have been some rumors that Jackson might land here in Atlanta, but, but it seems, I, am I right to say more likely than not that Jackson stays in Baltimore? And so therefore, for Todd Munkin, you'd be entering into a situation where you have a you know, at one point in time, you know, Jackson was sort of an MVP-level quarterback, think we'd kind of have a quarterback in place there, That there's a lot about the Baltimore situation that I would say sort of seems more favorable from the Munken perspective than maybe a situation like, you know, Tampa probably does, and so the second interview, I think you have to take that a little bit seriously here, uh, the idea, and we've kind of been saying this over and over again, which is that, I really have no idea what Todd Munkin's going to do. I'm not even really sure I fully understand what Todd Munkin wants to do. But the one thing that you have to conclude is, is all of this NFL stuff that seems to be circling around Munkin, it's not nothing. It's not the kind of thing that you can just easily wave away with kind of a a flick of the wrist and say, none of this matters. Multiple interviews with the same team, multiple interviews in the NFL that we know about here publicly would certainly suggest that Todd Munkin has some NFL interest. But While those are kind of the basic points as it relates to all of this, there's another slightly different point I want to make here for a moment, because one of the things I think is really interesting is, is that while the Todd Munkin decision of will he stay or will he go from Georgia is about the biggest thing in our lives right now, right? In terms of the Georgia football conversation, I would say over the last few days, it's been kind of dominated on shows like this, in social media, uh, you know, maybe message board stuff there as well. It's been kind of dominated by Todd Munkin's future. It doesn't really seem like, though, to NFL fans, Munkin's potential insertion into their orbit is as big a deal to them as it is to us. I want to give you an example of this. And this is not a scientific poll, necessarily. But this is also not necessarily a super small media outlet that's kind of talking about this. It sort of seems like, in terms of the potential candidates for the um, for the Baltimore Ravens job here, Todd Munkin is not necessarily among the more favored by Ravens fans at least the ones that vote in this poll the SB Nation side that covers the Baltimore Ravens going to put this out let me show this to you here for a moment I want to react to this so they put it out there. This is called Baltimore Beatdown. You know, SB Nation is not maybe the biggest but not the smallest media outlet. So this is not an insignificant maybe number of Ravens fans who are weighing in on this. The question was asked, who do Ravens fans want to be their offensive coordinator? And according to the folks who voted in this poll, 38% wanted Eric Bieniemy. Now, now quick point here for a moment. Bieniemy is obviously the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs here right now. So If you're looking for some sort of quick resolution for Todd Munkin and the the Baltimore Ravens situation, the idea that Biennium – and you very rarely see a lateral move in the NFL, but the idea that the Ravens have asked permission to interview Biennium – would suggest that whatever's going to happen in Baltimore is likely to extend beyond the Super Bowl, which means beyond this week here. So if you're a Georgia fan waiting on news on the Munkin situation, based on the fact that the enemy is a candidate here means you're going to have to wait uh, you know, a little bit longer on all of that. Then you've got Dave Canales, who I believe is in Seattle. Uh, 24% of uh, fans want him. You got Zach Robinson getting 19%. And then down here, fourth on this list, is Todd Munkin, who who uh, gets 10% of the vote here. So 10% of Ravens fans want Todd Munkin to be their offensive coordinator. And I find that to be very interesting here because I think those Ravens fans are idiotic if if only 10% of them want Todd Munkin to be their offensive coordinator. This is one of those weird deals here where, um, where it sort of seems like a lot of people aren't all that aware of of how good Todd Munkin has been for the uh, Georgia Bulldogs. I hope the Ravens don't hire Todd Munkin. I hope they are dumb enough to hire somebody else in place of him. But if 90%, if we take this poll seriously, if 90% of Ravens fans want someone other than uh, Todd Munkin to be their offensive coordinator, I think 90% of those fans have zero idea of what they're talking about, which in a roundabout way I I think kind of brings – the Biennemi story back into this a little bit for those of you who kind of know the deal here enemy's worked with Andy Reid he's obviously working with uh, Patrick Mahomes and there's this thought very unorthodox that a guy with the Chiefs would make a lateral move somewhere else We almost never see lateral moves in the NFL but the issue here is is that enemy has tried to be a head coach and thus far has not been able to do that now there's all kinds of opinions why that hasn't happened but just to keep it to the facts here for a moment the facts are Biennemi has sought becoming a head coach and has not been able to do that yet. So conventional wisdom is, hey, maybe I need to get out from Kansas City, go to a place like Baltimore, and get more credit for my offensive coaching abilities. I think that word credit here is very, very interesting. Because while Georgia, I think, benefits from the fact that maybe people don't quite know how good Todd Munkin is, maybe it's also a signal that if Munkin does come back to Georgia in 2023, The thing that Georgia can give him is not necessarily more money, although I'm sure he wouldn't turn it down, but he's already, I think, the highest paid coordinator in college football as it is. Maybe the thing that Georgia could really give Munkin if he comes back in 2023 is just a little more credit, because if Todd Munkin really does want to move on to the NFL, eventually you're not going to stop him from being able to do that, I don't think, nor would you necessarily want to stand in his way if that's what his next career ambition is. But maybe as he makes himself more of a candidate for the best jobs in the NFL, those best play calling situations, maybe treating him at Georgia in such a way that causes NFL fans to be a little bit more aware of just how good he is, maybe that would be a way to kind of do Munken a little bit of a solid, if you want to kind of think about it that way. That maybe the thing that Georgia could give Munkin, if Munken gives Georgia at least one more year here, is just a little bit more credit for the current success that George is having. And one of the things that kind of this brought to mind for me was, is going back to the prior to the national championship, I had a chance to, to briefly interview Todd Munkin there in L.A. And one of the questions I asked him was, about, you know, how this offensive transformation that's taken place at Georgia, clearly this offense is way better now than it was in 2019, the first year before he got here from Munkin's perspective, how he thinks that transformation has occurred. I thought that Munkin gave very thorough answer. He always gives thorough answers but also a pretty honest and kind of detailed answer here. And I just don't think a lot of football fans, even football fans who try to follow as much of the sport as they possibly can. Certainly plenty of Ravens fans seem to be unaware, but I just don't think a lot of football fans kind of outside our bubble here in dog nation realize how much of a transformative figure that Munken has been, uh, here at Georgia. In fact, here he is in his own words talking about that. This is Todd Munkin going back to LA, you
1: know, coming back from, the NFL to college, four years is a long time. Two years could be a long time of, like, how the game's evolving, what players you have. Well, we didn't have spring ball, COVID, all three months. We're doing everything on Zoom. You don't have any ability to evaluate your players. You have no ability to evaluate scheme, what you think you're going to do, what you end up doing. You're like, eventually, you're like, well, that's not worth it That was stupid. Well, I didn't know that four months before. And we got halfway through the year, that first year, like, well, we can't do that. We don't need a deep drop. We don't need these certain things and you just get better. And then you realize how the college game is changing and you get better and you trust your staff. And, you know, we had all these great defensive players. We just got, we got our tails knocked in the dirt every day, you know, and um, it has evolved in a lot of ways. And um, it's been a credit to our staff. It's been a credit to time. It's been a credit to watching what other people are doing and what fits for us.
0: First of all, I had to bleep part of that out. But if you want to hear the non bleep, the non censored version of Todd Munkin, there were a couple of examples of that. If you go find on the YouTube page when we are media day in L.A., you can kind of hear Todd Munkin and all his unvarnished glory there on that. But on our family uh, friendly show here, I'll bleep that out from Munkin. But the point is, is when you hear him talking about what he has seen be undertaken while he's been the offensive coordinator at Georgia it is obvious that he's a sharp coaching mind and it is obvious that he has spent a lot of time thinking about how to make Georgia into the offense that it's become I think it's sort of also obvious that he just hasn't necessarily gotten enough credit for that now, I don't blame Georgia for that I don't blame Kirby Smart for that I don't think anyone's done wrong by Todd Monk I think what Georgia is though is it's just sort of viewed to be a little bit of a machine where oftentimes individual players don't get the glory they could get. We don't really I mean we saw Stetson Bennett become a Heisman finalist this year, but it's long been sort of believed that maybe Georgia won't ever have a Heisman winner in this particular era because Georgia amongst its play among its players just shares so much glory. And A lot of the individual coaching work, you know, it's sort of hard as a coach to sort of stand out from the pack and stand out from the rest. Sometimes even Kirby Smart, I would say, is almost underrated as a coach, what he's doing on game day, because the thought is, well, Georgia's just got so much talent, they just overwhelm everyone they play. And to a degree, that might sort of be true. But but sort of viewing Georgia as this unstoppable football machine, I do think at times fails to give enough credit to the individual component parts that make that machine work. And clearly, Todd Munkin is one of those. So if Munkin doesn't get this Ravens job or if he decides he doesn't want it or, you know, Buck's job, whatever else. Maybe this is the thing that Georgia could give Munkin next year. Find a way to give him a little bit more credit. Find a way to make him a little bit more of of I guess a focal point for the conversation I mean a lot of offensive coordinators Lane Kiffin he was an offensive coordinator always liked to be down there on the sidelines he always liked to have his hands in the air for every touchdown that was his way of making sure the world knew he was the guy that called the play Munkin doesn't seek the spotlight in the same way Munkin calls from the booth and I'm not saying he should leave the booth and come down to the field but it's just an example of in a lot of ways Munkin as a kind of a diabolical genius play caller has sort of done the work that he's done away from the spotlight the way other offensive coordinators at time have sort of sought that out so maybe Georgia could try to find a way to put that spotlight on Todd Munkin here uh, a little bit I know our buddy Mike Griffiths got a story at dognation.com coming today where he's going to say that money is going to be no option for Georgia as it tries to uh, keep Todd Munkin I would certainly believe that probably is true but sometimes in life when you're already well paid there's a lot of other things that are valuable to you other than money and maybe for Munken, it's finally getting some of the credit he deserves for how impactful he's been to the georgia success and maybe the next time the nfl coaching carousel spins assuming that Munken decides to stick around maybe some of these nfl fans will be a little bit more aware of just how impactful he's been for georgia and maybe todd Munken actually gets the pick of whatever nfl job that he wants and listen if that's eventually where he wants his career to go i don't know that many people around georgia that will want to stand in his way of doing that but maybe there's a chance to hold on to him for one more year and get this go for three and 23 as a way of saying goodbye as he maybe moves on to the league he would just rather be in my name's brandon adams and this is dog nation daily the daily podcast for georgia bulldogs fans we're presented today by Pella window indoor georgia we're glad to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video 9 first and 15 dognation.com, nation.com dog nation app 10 a.m after that facebook youtube twitter twitch the radio at noon on athens sports radio 96 the ref and we're available as a podcast wherever you find them apple spotify all kinds of podcast platforms we're just happy that you reach out and you're part of our show really really appreciate all of that and a big thank as well to our friends at Pella window and door of georgia for making this all possible you know Pella window and door of georgia can equip your house with energy efficient windows and doors and boy this is that time of year where really good windows really good doors makes a big difference for you because a lot of times it's cold and so that heat costs more money than it's probably ever cost for you before you want to keep it on the inside of your house where it's supposed to be that windy weather that cold weather all that you know junk that's sort of in the air this time of year you want to keep that on the outside you don't want that stuff kind of you know creeping into your house creating those that drafty feel you don't want that and that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia prevents uh, for you there as well. Also, looks better on the outside. Curb Appeal is a great way to be a great neighbor, but it also has a great potential benefit to you when you go to resell your home there as well. And that's always a good thing. So I think it's time for you to acquaint yourself with the product line from Pella if you haven't. Talk to one of the Pella experts and let them kind of walk you through in a no pressure way all of the installation options, the entire product line, what makes Pella window and door of Georgia such a superior product. You can also hear about some great savings as well. Now understand this conversation is not a pressure situation. No one's going to push you into doing something that you don't want to do they simply want to educate you on why the Pella product is uh, so well recognized and so respected as the brand leader by so many folks here in our market area you can also find out about great savings too between now and February 25th you can get 10% off the entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months plus an extra $500 off the project so you can get hear about that there as well so stop by Experience Center in Duluth and maybe put your hand on the product, feel it, touch it, have that face-to-face conversation. Or if you'd rather begin online, Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. That's Pella of slash dog nation. You can also give them a call 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Just reach out and find out why Pella Window Door of Georgia truly is viewed to be the best make sure you tell them the ba from dog nation daily sent you because i know they're going to take really really good care of you all right we're going to get uh john Stinchcomb here in a moment we'll also have some fun here in a moment there as well with a uh a former georgia player who has certainly satisfied the gator haters among us we'll get to that here coming up in just a moment too let me squeeze in one quick thing read connor Riley's story dog nation.com marvin jones jr uh reportedly i think uh, our buddy jake rowe had this first but uh, uh jones jr gonna miss spring practice here with a shoulder injury this is not a huge surprise uh, i think it was not a very well-kept secret that jones was pretty banged up near the end of the last season i don't know that we saw his best because of that i think that he has a very bright future as a pass rusher but taking some time here during the off season to kind of get fully healed up and uh well is probably a pretty important step as connor also mentioned the story <laughs> he's in pretty good company when it comes to Georgia players who've missed spring practice because of shoulder injuries the uh Mackey award-winning Brock Bowers had that be the case for him last year uh N'Kobe Dean the eventual Butkus award winner uh at linebacker had that be the case for him prior to the 2021 season so Marvin Jones Jr. is in good company when it comes to uh Georgia players who've missed a spring because of a shoulder injury so probably not too much to be worried about here but if you're uh already thinking about spring practice for georgia that is something to be a little bit aware of there now with that said let's move on and do around the doghouse here for a moment really really loved this obviously our buddy mike griffith had good coverage from the senior bowl here this week there's also a moment near the end of the game where kenny mcintosh to his credit and this was a cool thing to see. mcintosh was kind of going around there in mobile signing a lot of autographs and uh just you know kind of spending some time with the fans, which was a great thing to see. Obviously, that means a lot to the people there in that particular situation for a guy like Kenny to do that. And there was also a thing, and if you go to dognation.com, you can see the full video of this. I'm only going to play the audio for you. You can see the video at dognation.com but kenny obviously hailing from the state of florida was asked by a georgia fan how come he didn't go play for those lousy stinking gators and for those of us around here who believe that a good georgia fan is a gator hater first and foremost and we can't get enough of uh gator hating and things like that kenny mcintosh gave us an answer that we're gonna we're gonna dine out on for many many days to come here this is kenny mcintosh explaining once and for all why he a floridian did not go play for the lousy stinking gators here is kenny
1: what made you pick georgia over florida
0: Man, I want to win. It. Exactly. I appreciate I you, bro. Florida, you know, I appreciate you. I'm a Florida boy, but you know I want to win. Yeah, this, I
1: appreciate
0: you. it. I'm a Florida boy, but I wanted to win. And as the uh, Georgia fan says to Kenny mcintosh right there, I appreciate you for saying that. And Kenny, I would say we appreciate you on that as well. There is nothing better to think than uh, a guy from Florida. Of course, in Kenny's case, it's more like South Florida, but nonetheless, it's still Florida. A guy from Florida say, you know what? if I want to be playing in the biggest games, if I want to be winning here, I got to get out of this state. I can't go where that orange and blue. I got to go up to a place like Georgia if I want to truly win. And obviously, McIntosh cases, he did plenty of winning there. So uh, that proved to be the right choice for him. And for those of us who are Gator haters, the fact that he's still explaining it in no uncertain terms. Well, that's a really fun thing there as well. All right, we're going to talk to uh, John Stinchcomb here coming up in just a moment. Let me also remind you, that right now if you go to dognation.com you still have an opportunity to register to win our dog nation cruise giveaway courtesy of our friends at Kroger now you've heard me say this now for a couple of days so right there on the page of dognation.com you can click into this and you can go and you can be registered for your chance to win Kroger giving this away it's a stateroom uh for up to two people there on that you get the Hotel room in Port Canaveral the night before the cruise there on April 23rd. So that way you can know you're already settled in and ready to go when the ship sails that following day get a gas card you get some onboard credits uh the entry period runs up until this friday that's february 10th so you got a a few more days to get in on this courtesy of our friends at kroger we're certainly so happy to have them uh doing this really fun giveaway for us and it's a great thing to see so dognation.com that's the place to go to register for your chance to win super convenient can't miss it right there on the page Uh, dognation.com for more on all of that. So all you got to do, by the way, let me give you one more detail. So when you go to dognation.com, the way that you register is by simply sharing your favorite memory from the 2022 season. That's all you need to do. Share your favorite memory. Uh, We're going to select one winner at random, to uh, get that stateroom for up to two people, and all the fun that goes along with that. So dognation.com for all the details. If I wasn't clear between now and February 10th, you can uh, get registered for your chance to win. Just give us your favorite memory from this past 2022 season. All right, before we're done, as I said, we've got a lot on Alabama's two new coordinators because I think there's some reverberations to all this we will uh, get to that here coming up but for now on everything going on with UGA let's talk to a great guy to have these kinds of discussions with it is our buddy John Stinchcomb here as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com Insider. We'll we'll, we'll say hello, I should say, to uh, John Stinchcomb here, DogNation Daily. Uh, It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider update. And uh, John, we were just having some fun a moment ago playing a little bit of audio from uh, Kenny McIntosh. And, And for me here... You know, obviously, we've seen Georgia win back-to-back national championships, and the situation on the field is obviously really good. And Georgia has kind of, you know, been a part of conversations that we've been, you know, wanting to have for a long time. But John, we can also go back to a time in which is just beating the rivals was a big deal, and just kind of either trying to even the score or or stay ahead of a rival was about as you know big an aspiration as Georgia fans seemingly had for at that particular time when you look at the current landscape in college football, long winning streak now against Auburn, long winning streak against Florida, Kenny McIntosh, talking about the fact that I knew I needed to come to Georgia if I wanted to win. <laughs> the distance that Georgia has put between itself and its most hated rivals, boy, that's about as sweet as anything for me. And it's the kind of thing I don't think any of us should really lose sight of, right?
2: Oh, it's a great time to be a dog. And we can say that any day and any year. But certainly now when you look at the the landscape of the separation that's been created you, even when folks you know it's crazy to think that we've already folks have already shifted focus to could there be a three peak right. and they're looking at the schedule next season and saying man this, there there's not a lot of scary matchups for Georgia and i think a lot of that has to do with the separation that the dogs have created within their own side of the conference and um the the juggernauts of yesteryear florida and tennessee um they they haven't been able to keep or maintain that that same level of competency that became a mainstay generations ago decades ago and now you see that there is a head and shoulders uh distance and and separation that georgia's created and uh man, it's, it's, it's almost, it puts a smile on my face when I think about it, just to think that you've got a Florida boy who claims, man, I'm a, I'm a Florida boy, but I wanted to win. Yeah. And that's the reason why he comes to Georgia makes, makes us
0: all happy. Well, the other part of this too, is, is when Kirby Smart was first hired, I think it was a very fair question to ask of what is the actual value of having an alumnus as your head coach? It kind of gave you some feel good vibes, but is there any like tangible value to that? And I think when you see the way in which Georgia has approached the Florida games in recent years, the Auburn games in recent years, that's where some of this kind of comes in. Now, I don't know that being a Georgia grad made Kirby more likely to succeed, but you better believe he comes in with a full understanding of the games that truly matter to Georgia. Now, he doesn't always pay lip service to that. He sort of pretends that every game is the same. But actions speak louder than words, and it's pretty clear Kirby Smart is really locked in when Georgia plays at Tennessee like it did this year, when it plays Florida and Jacksonville every year, or obviously some of the stuff against Auburn, that, that Kirby doesn't have to have it explained to him, the games that matter to Georgia fans. He he knows this in his blood. And I think that's one of those tangible examples of um, having an alumnus as head coach, he just sort of gets that part of it. And that's been, I think, a really fun thing about this ride over the course of the last few years as well.
2: And, and I would say in addition to that, so when you get the hometown boy who becomes your head coach – you. You get somebody who understands the traditions and the history of the of the teams and the rivalries and can em, embrace that, and that speaks to us as fans, right? Like we want somebody who knows uh, what our team's been through and what's meaningful to us. But sometimes when you get that coach that, you know, this is the way, this is the Georgia way for us, you, you lose sight of – the expansive nature of college football and what i think and this is very much to coach smart's credit what i think he's done an incredible job of is not only embrace the history and the rivalries but he's expanded it his time away from us has allowed him to you know garner that uh, perspective that to take Georgia where we wanted to go. And that's to be national champion competitors and defenders on an annual basis that we had to expand, um, our our perspective and become national. And that's, that's really what he's done and, and done a very admirable job in doing so of embracing the history and the tradition, but also combining and welcoming in this new era of we are, we're not just, you know uh, the, the best team in the SEC, but we are able to draw players and have national attention that that allows us to to compete on an annual basis where we want to be, and that's a that's a unique characteristic that uh, I think Coach Smart really hadn't gotten the credit for that that he's deserving of of uh, embracing tradition, but also building uh, out from it and, and not being limited by state
0: lines you told us last week that you obviously take the Todd Munkin situation seriously that him interviewing with his NFL jobs means that there's at least a pretty good chance that he'd like to be back in the NFL again we've now found out that he's interviewed a second time with the Baltimore Ravens and what we were kind of saying a moment ago here is is that in a lot of ways the Baltimore situation seems way more attractive than the Tampa situation probably would you know Todd Bowles who knows how long he even has in Tampa whereas John Harbaugh's won two super Bowls or at least no, I guess he's won one super Bowl uh 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 but either way he's a super Bowl winning coach he has a chance to maybe stick there for you know kind of the uh for for, for the long haul with the, uh, with, with the Ravens, maybe Lamar Jackson's coming back next year, which gives you a quarterback in place, whereas Tampa kind of doesn't really have that. that, that overall you've got a scenario in Baltimore that seems like it's a little bit more favorable than what the Tampa situation would be. And so I'm guessing if you would say that last week you take it seriously that Munkin could leave then maybe you take it even more seriously if he's interviewing multiple times at a place like Baltimore compared to a place like Tampa, which is maybe the least attractive situation in the NFL right now, or at least among the least attractive situations, that the Baltimore thing is just an entirely of a you know of a horse of a different color here.
2: Oh yeah. It it got real, real, real fast. And <laughs> that's not good for Georgia fans. In my in my opinion, I think very highly of Coach Munkin. I think what he's been able to do and build and create offensively is has been exceptional and we have certainly moved the needle in uh ways that we utilize players and just the identity of the offense and I'm sure he is not the only one but he certainly deserves the lion's share of the credit and um I, I think it to lose coach Munkin, um it does come at a, at a cost for Georgia. I think it's you know there's not going to be a net zero possibility there there is always transition even if you get somebody who's very capable uh, there's a transition piece and uh, sometimes that takes time and you know right now georgia's in a spot where it's like hey we want everything right now we are trying to live in the old days the glory days where we we recognize we're in the middle of them so we want to maximize that and you know, other teams have been able to do it. I'm not saying that Georgia can't replace coordinators. Um, but when you've got a really good one, you want to hold on to them. And Coach Munkin certainly fits that bill. He's a He's a great coordinator. He's been great for the University of Georgia. And although I'm sure there's other capable coordinators that could come in and we can still win championships, when you've got a guy of his caliber and you've had the success that he's been able to lead – um, our team too, you just don't want to lose them flippantly and say, oh, it's no big deal, we'll just bring the next guy in. Um, you try to hold on to the pieces that uh, that you can and that have been essential into getting you to exactly where you want to be, and Coach Munkin fits that bill. So I think it's a, it's a significant threat that an opportunity like Baltimore exists and he's on his second interview and you know, like you say, that is a much more enticing position. That team is much more established and not transitioning away from, you know, what should have been a better year for Tampa that ended in mediocrity and a Hall of Fame best quarterback conversation uh, and Tom Brady player that you know is retiring and you're not going to have access to. That's not nearly as enticing as as what Baltimore could offer. So I think it's a big threat and, and something that you know, is concerning for me as a fan, but um, you hope that it doesn't play out that way.
0: Let me i have, have a candid conversation with you about this for a moment. So, as a Georgia fan, I'm sort of fine if Georgia is not Munkin's dream job, and if he wants to move on to the NFL, I'd, I'd love to see him eventually be able to do that, but given the fact that Georgia has a chance at this sort of historic season coming up, a third straight national championship, I would like to keep Todd Munkin around for one more year, and what i said before he joined us is is that maybe the thing that georgia could give munkin if if he does come back is just a little bit more credit for some of the success that Georgia is having maybe put a little bit bigger spotlight on him because to be completely honest here while munkin's clearly enough of a candidate he's interviewing multiple times baltimore is interviewing also multiple people multiple times it's not obvious here that right now even after the great success that Munkin's had at Georgia, that he's the most favored candidate for any of these jobs he's interviewed for. And there have obviously also been plenty of other offensive coordinator jobs that were filled very quick without any mention of Munkin being involved with at all. So maybe Munken wants to be back in the NFL. It's not obvious, though, where he necessarily ranks in terms of favored candidates for some of these OC positions. So if he does come back to Georgia. I'd say there's nothing wrong with having a guy who's just sort of here to do a job because clearly he's doing the job well, and maybe Georgia could set him up this year so that next year when some of these offensive coordinated conversations are taking place, Munkin's a little bit more well-known to some of those fan bases and maybe a little bit more favorable to some of those personnel men making the decision that maybe that's the thing that Georgia could give Munkin if he comes back, not more money, although I don't have a problem that I do give him more money, but maybe just a little bit more attention, a little bit more credit, a little bit more – uh, name recognition for the success that he's obviously providing for Georgia here. You know, how does something like that land with you, John?
2: Yeah, I, and uh, if I thought that would be a motivating factor for Coach Munkin, I don't know him well, I, so I, who's to say what what would what's he looking for? What would be the re- retention factors that matter most to him? I he's never come across as a guy that needs more credit uh, especially in interviews, he does a, a really great job of deflecting and, and pointing the attention elsewhere. Um, and you look at his pay scale and he's certainly being, uh, compensated. Well, I mean, there's always room to, to throw more dollars at somebody. And, uh, when you're winning, winning national championships, it's, it's easier to justify. And I think a lot of people could get on board with that. But I think with coach Munkin, it's, uh, there's few things that sway and i think what he looks for is the challenges and he looks for opportunities to succeed and that's based on some of his commentary and then some of his actions as well um he's he's been in the nfl so unlike others that have tried to make that jump to try to prove themselves of like uh, you know, I've done it at college. Now let's see if I can do it in the pros, and it hasn't fared very well for them, or at least not in recent times. I think there's a number of coaches that you can point to that fall into that category. For him, he's been in the NFL before, and that that's more of his background. And he came to Georgia because there was an opportunity for him to kind of prove, I think, not only to himself but those that are around him and his peers that. That he is—he's capable of being one of the best, and so um, I don't know that more praise uh, publicly would would move the needle. But if it does, man, I'm all for it because I think he uh, deserves any of the credit that uh, could come his way. He's been a big part of establishing Georgia not only as um, a, a solid team but a real offensive threat, and done it in ways that were unconventional. Take a guy that, that couldn't get a scholarship out of high school and was number four on the depth chart and you make him, you know, a a legend and one of the greatest to ever play for the university and uh, been able to highlight other players along the way, I think, is an exceptional feat and something that is very deserving of the credit. If that helps motivate him, let's let's give him more his way.
0: Uh, it's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcombe here right now. Obviously, we always enjoy uh, hearing from our Dog Nation Insider and John Stinchcombe, but we also enjoy the idea of telling you how you can become a Marlowe's Tavern Insider there as well. And In fact, a great opportunity for right now. When you go to Marlo's tavern.com you can get signed up to become uh, a part of the uh, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club, and you get a great incentive just for doing that. You're going to get $10 off your $30 purchase just for signing up there at your local Marlowe's tavern or online at Marlowestavern.com. And after that, you're kind of in the club. And at that point in time, you're seeking what are known as qualified visits. When you spend at least $15, you earn a qualified visit. You can complete four qualified visits and you're gonna receive a complimentary entree worth up to twenty dollars on your next visit. So you also get special stuff on your birthday there as well. So become a Marlowe's tavern insider by going to marlowstavern.com for more on that. It's Marlowestavern.com. True story had a great lunch Friday. It was at the Marlowe's over there at Avalon and had that wonderful French dip uh, for uh, lunch. It was delicious. So Marlowe's Tavern, chef-inspired food, just as good as always. And I hope you'll check out some here very soon at the Tavern near you and become a member of the Marlowe's Tavern Insider Club for more on that, too. John, let me also kind of finish with this for a moment. Uh, Obviously, one of the big stories around college football here this weekend, two new coordinators at Alabama. If you look at Kevin Steele hired on the defensive side, I guess the reverberation here for Georgia is that means that Glenn Schumann is not going anywhere, which I think we've all been kind of aware of for a while. And maybe that to me is what's so interesting about this is, is that there was a little bit of a brief rumor that, oh, maybe Schumann goes back to a place he used to work in kind of an analyst role there at Alabama, and Alabama can make him the full defensive coordinator. He doesn't have to share responsibilities with Will Muschamp. And, you know, John, none of that really ever materialized at all. We don't get any sense that that schumann even considered this not for one moment here and to me that's a pretty interesting look into what things are like at georgia here right now whereas the rumor mill around glenn schumann never really spun all that seriously at least that we can tell uh even though clearly a lot of alabama fans wish that were to be the case what do you make of the fact that uh, glenn schumann apparently does not see the grass being greener anywhere right now than the spot that he has right here at the university of georgia
2: think that means he's realistic I mean you look at uh, two-time defending national championship teams and you're the co-defensive coordinator I don't know that there's a, a better opportunity out there than the one coach Schumann has and he, he's established himself I think uh, soon he will be able to kind of pick and choose the, the role that he wants the position he wants uh, similar to what Kirby did with you know his time in Alabama of during that rain just waiting to to pick his shots for what he wanted to go to next I think that's a very similar course to what Coach Schumann is on and you know I was listening to Coach Smart I think it was at a Gwinnett County Hall of Fame banquet last year and he said he meets with his staff um, and tries to understand what the, their goals are what what do they want to accomplish where you know, where do they want to be? And then helps them get there. And uh, understanding what Georgia offers, especially with winning, it kind of makes everybody look better players, coaches. Um, you know, there's going to be opportunities there. And understanding what individuals' goals are uh, as a leader, I think, is really important. And to hear Coach Smart say that, recognizing uh, what that might mean uh, for, Coach Schumann, for example, that that might mean you're going to develop and then quote-unquote lose one of your staff guys down the road, Um, I think is what good leadership offers. It recognizes that uh, there is a selfish component to all of this. It's what can you do for me, what can you do for this program. But if you can, along the way, say, hey, I want your very best, but I, I also have your back and I want you to be able to accomplish your goals and objectives in in your career path, um, that there's synergy that that can be created. And there's opportunities for true greatness. And uh, you look at it this year for Coach Schumann, and I think it's another – when you win national championships, you want as very little in your staff to change as possible. Recognizing that's hard to do because – Uh, Success breeds opportunities, and and you're going to. The nature of the beast is transition. You're going to lose some folks. But um, I think Coach Schumann recognizes the unique opportunity that exists, and I'm grateful for it. Uh, Again, in that same sense with Coach Munkin, um, appreciate what they've done and what they've been a part of. Uh, from the outside perspective, but also I think they have their own appreciation of the opportunities that are unique to Georgia right now in this era, and uh, they want to be a part of it and recognize that there will be more opportunities for Coach Schumann in the in the future if that's the direction he wants to go. But right now, there's no place better to be than, than in red and black and coaching for the dogs.
0: John, great stuff. Thanks so much for being a part of our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update here today. Always fun to have that conversation with you here on the show. We look forward to doing it each and every week, and so uh, we'll look forward to doing it, uh, I guess, again very soon uh, as well.
2: Sounds good. Appreciate it, B.A. Go
0: dogs! Yes, sir. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So let me make one more point about the Munkin thing because uh, one of our buddies, G. Grace, who's like one of our resident Alabama fans who comments on YouTube a minute ago said, dang, B, how much more credit do you want Todd Munkin to get? Like, like here's just a quick point on this and then we'll uh, kind of move on and talk about something different. The issue here for me on the Munkin thing is not an ego stroke, right? I mean, you know, John said that Todd Munkin doesn't sort of strike him as the kind of person who needs more credit, which uh, from a personality standpoint might be true. But when you look at the current situation in the NFL, we just saw Brian Schottenheimer get hired as the Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator. How many chances does Brian Schottenheimer get to prove that he's a lousy coach? This guy was an awful offensive coordinator here in 2015, and yet he gets job after job after job after job in the NFL. Now, the situation in Dallas might not be that great, to be honest with you, but uh, but the idea that Dallas leaps the chance to hire Brian Schottenheimer, we don't really hear Todd Munkin's name coming up for that. If that's really the situation, then that's football malpractice, right? I mean, there's no way Schottenheimer is a better coach than than Todd Munkin is, or Kellen Moore, who got I guess fired from Dallas, was very quickly scarfed up by the L.A. Chargers. Now, given the chance, you get a chance to work with uh, uh with the uh, quarterback there um that's probably a pretty good job I think right now uh with, with uh, Justin Herbert as your quarterback that's probably a pretty good job you know a guy like Moore who doesn't have the world's best track record he's the guy that gets tabbed to do that you know once again I would say there's a little bit of a of a misunderstanding of how good a guy like Todd Munkin is if he's not being mentioned for some of the better offensive coordinator situations here in the NFL so so if if you have a job you want and you're not really being mentioned for that, or if fans aren't really celebrating the, the thought you could be hired for that, then maybe you do need a little bit more credit in the job you're currently in. So if that's what Munkin, you know, if, if Munkin wants to be in the NFL, but he comes back to Georgia for one more year, either because he doesn't quite get the job that he wants or, you know, whatever else, then sort of setting him up in such a way that a th- you know, a third straight national title and more great offensive success, this time with a brand new quarterback, could be a springboard for all of that, then I think that'd be kind of a fitting conclusion to his time here at UGA. And Dog fans would pat him on the back, shake his hand, and say thanks for a time well served here on the job, tremendously upgrading this Georgia offense over the course of the time that he was here. With that said, let's get ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And boy, I'm excited because I'm not that far away from a big family cruise, taking the entire family here on a uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation year coming up. It's the kind of thing that we just need, right? I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. Uh, I'm thankful I get a chance to take this. And I just love the the way in which we spent time you know, looking at the various ports we're going to be visiting and the things to do on the ship and getting my kids excited about all that. And they're like, Daddy, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to do this. We're just making this long list of things that we want to do. And that just makes me so happy to to be able to plan that and get excited about that. And, you know, listen, for you, I hope you get a chance to enjoy the same kind of happiness. And I really do believe that for your hard earned vacation dollars and that precious time off from work, the kind of thing that obviously you look forward to all year long. I really think there's probably no better way to spend that time than on a Royal Caribbean cruise, especially when you compare that to kind of some of the land based vacations. The value you get for, for the money that you spend here. I just don't think that there's any comparison to that whatsoever. When you think about the uh, the great restaurant options, when you think about the entertainment options on board, the places you get a chance to visit, the experiences you get to have, that's one of the reasons why my family, we love the cruise vacations. It's because of all the different things we get to do, really kind of something for everybody, and the kind of exotic experiences that we wouldn't really get if we weren't on board a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So we recommend it heartily. I know a lot of you are planning on being with us this upcoming April for our Dog Nation cruise. And of course, the excuse me, by the way, and of course, the great travel agent, Jessica Slater, who's helped us out with so much of this, uh, she can help you out there as well. So give her a call, 770-718-9147, You can also visit a website that Jessica's made called RoyalDogs.com. That's RoyalDogs.com. And I think there is still maybe a chance to kind of get in on the Dog Nation cruise. In fact, I heard from some folks this weekend are like, B.A., I'm in, I'm going, we're pulled the trigger. So uh, apparently folks are still doing that. So, there must be some space left. So, you go ahead and get in, be a part of this. Royaldogs.com, that's the website, or give Jessica a call, 770 718 9147. That's 770 718 9147 for a lot more on that. All right, let's talk about the situation in Alabama here for a moment because we found out over the weekend that Alabama has now made both of its coordinator hires. Tommy Reese is official, that's your new offensive coordinator. Kevin Steele, about to be official. That'll be your new defensive coordinator. Now, the thing about Reese is, and I, I think this is, you know, kind of funny here from the standpoint that he's just not really been that successful at Notre Dame. He, you know, Notre Dame was somewhere in the 40s this year. I'm talking about 40th ranked in the country in terms of point score. They obviously had kind of an ugly loss to Marshall, and you know, this was not a great year for Notre Dame offensively. So it's not like Tommy Reese is going to come down to Tuscaloosa with tons of fanfare. However, I'm willing to concede something here that if Nick Saban is hiring Reese. He is probably a better coaching candidate overall than his resume suggests because, you know, uh, obviously, you know, Nick Saban's thorough about this kind of stuff and he's a good coach. So I'm willing to concede, even if the Reese resume looks pretty funny for Alabama to be kind of gravitating towards, that he's probably a better coach than you sort of give him uh, credit for at least a little bit. Put a pin on that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. The Kevin Steele hire is, I think, a good hire, not a great hire. It's a good hire. Steele was a good defensive coordinator at Auburn. Uh, I don't think he had a great year this past year at Miami. Uh, Obviously embarrassed a couple years ago, or more than a couple years now, a few years ago in a bowl game when he gave up 70-plus points. So Steele's one of those guys, if you last a really long time, and Steele's not a young man, so he's been around for a long time. If you last a really long time, you're going to have some good years and some bad years, and Kevin Steele sort of got both on his resume, but at this point in time, it's probably a good hire. And even though the resume for Reese doesn't exactly look very good, i wanted to sort of concede that's kind of a good hire there as well. But let me tell you what this is not. And this is where things, I think, get really interesting. Reese nor Steele, what they are not, they are not statement hires. And that's what Alabama fans wanted. They want statement hires. They wanted Cliff Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator. I think they would have taken Jeremy Pruitt as their defensive coordinator. The kind of hires that were statements, Pruitt would have been a signal that, hey, we're going back to the glory days. We're going back to what's worked for us before. And obviously, Jeremy Pruitt stepped in there at D.C. when Kirby Smart became uh, head coach uh, here at uh, Georgia that, that Pruitt going back to him would have been a statement. This is a guy that had been SEC head coach, had brought a little bit of baggage maybe with him. And if you hire Jeremy Pruitt, that's a signal of Nick Saban, don't care. He's just here to win. He's here to put together one more dream team coaching staff and go after one more, uh, at least national championship. Hiring Kevin Steele by comparison doesn't feel like a statement. It just sort of feels like a good hire. And as we told you, The Todd Grantham thing, I believe, was always a little bit of a smokescreen, a little bit of a trial balloon of you put Grantham out there as a potential hire and the guy you eventually hire looks better by comparison. It's pretty obvious that Steele looks better than Grantham. Grantham's on his way back to the NFL. Steele looks better than Grantham does. So from that standpoint, Bama fans may be slightly more happy about this than not, but it's not a statement. Uh, Tommy Rees is not a statement. This is not going out and getting what Lane Kiffin once was, what Steve Sarkeesian once was. Really big, bold print, famous names, guys who had been high-level head coaches. This is what some Bama fans think Cliff Kingsbury might could have been for them. You go out and get the biggest name possible, leaving the entire world to wonder, oh my gosh, how could Alabama pull this off? How did Alabama hire Lane Kivan as its offensive coordinator? How did it have Steve Sarkeesian waiting in the wings to be its offensive coordinator? That's the kind of statement that only Alabama could make. But that's not what Tommy Reese nor Kevin Steele is. These are good coordinators. These are SEC-level coordinators. But if you're an Alabama fan, that may be sort of the problem here just a little bit, right? I mean, what if I told you that Tommy Reese – and Kevin Steele that pair of coordinators that they were at Arkansas doesn't that sort of sound like what you might could hear? Reese Steele yeah that feels like it could work at Arkansas feels like it would be realistic for Arkansas to pull that off after all up until this past year uh you know Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom the two coordinators there I'm not even quite so sure Uh, that's not a better pairing than what the Alabama pairing is now but the point is is that Steele Reese would have sounded realistic at Arkansas. It would have sounded realistic at Auburn. In fact, Kevin Steele was at Auburn. Ironically, that was the guy a lot of Auburn boosters wanted to be their head coach. So I wonder how, how they're feeling about all this today. Uh, this would have sounded realistic at Tennessee or South Carolina. Steele's got a little time spent at Tennessee recently, too. He's been a little bit everywhere. That, that this would have sort of felt realistic at a lot of different SEC programs. Alabama sort of thinks of itself as transcendent above the SEC. To me, this is a little bit of a signal now that Alabama is actually just a part of the SEC. They've got SEC level coordinators, but it's not a pair of coordinators that puts them far ahead of the pack. It's not a transcendent pairing. Alabama as a program is not a transcendent SEC program anymore. They may still very be, be very good. They could compete for the championship this year. I, I, it's at least possible. But on paper, they are not the obvious favorite. They are simply a part of the SEC West. Bama lost two times in the regular season last year. Uh, I believe this year SEC Media Days, LSU, which won the division this past year, will probably get more votes to win the division this year. Media frequently gets it wrong. But Alabama on paper does not start off as the obvious best in the SEC West. Alabama fans were hoping these coordinator hires would change the perception of that and make a statement that Alabama is going to put one big run together here. And this coordinator hiring is simply not making that statement. And, you know, there are a lot of media types who keep wanting to kind of create this revenge narrative of, uh, Nick Saban got that number one class this year as revenge for Jimbo Fisher for getting the number one class in 2022 and Nick Saban had to sit there on that tv desk during the national championship and listen to David Pollock talk about Georgia now kind of being the boss of college football or whatever it was that he said and now Nick Saban's taking notes and all this and he's going to go out there and he's going to get his revenge in college football and he's going to finish his career on top well I guess that could happen but if you really kind of look at the history of goats in sport, greatest of all time, in almost every situation, the greatest of all time, whatever goat you're kind of paying attention to, they actually don't quite finish their career that way. Most goats actually finish their career a far cry from what they used to be. Isn't that what Tom Brady had happened to him this year? Or oh, the Tampa Bay Bucks? Isn't that what happened with Michael Jordan when he finished his career with the Washington Wizards? Isn't that maybe what's also happening with Bill Belichick right now, the New England Patriots, some of the coaching decisions he's made as of late? Or how about Phil Jackson after his time with the Bulls and the Lakers came uh, and and concluded? On and on you can go, coaches, players, whatever you want to think of here. The actual end for most of these guys isn't anywhere near connected to what their actual great era was. Now, maybe Nick Saban's the outlier on all of that, or maybe it's possible that Nick Saban's last best chance to win a national championship was actually in 2022 when he had Bryce Young at quarterback, when he had Will Anderson on defense, two guys that legitimately on paper were among the very best in the entire sport. Well, now Nick Saban doesn't have those guys anymore. And coordinator hires aren't going to save him from whatever the Alabama roster has kind of become in wake of those guys leaving. This is not me saying the demise of Nick Saban is here, and that Nick Saban really is washed up in a shell of his former self. It's just me suggesting, it might be, it's just me suggesting that maybe Nick Saban as a GOAT, and Nick Saban probably is the greatest college football coach of all time, but as a GOAT, he may be no less immune to career erosion at the end, the same way the Jordans and the Tiger Woods and the Tom Bradys, the same way those other GOATs kind of saw their career kind of become A little bit of a shadow of their former selves near the end here. Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese, that's your coordinators at Alabama. It's probably fine. It's probably good, but it's not transcendent. It's just kind of in keeping with the rest of the SEC. And for now, that's really all Alabama is, is just another team in the SEC. All right, let me also kind of talk about a couple of other angles on this here for a moment. We said the Glenn Schumann thing here a moment ago. And as I told John Stinchcomb, the interesting thing about Schumann here on this is, is that the idea that he might leave for Alabama, it never really took on any kind of legs whatsoever, did it? I mean, it never became a big enough deal that Schumann, I mean, when, when Dan Lanning a couple of years ago was being courted by Texas and they were offering real serious money to hire him, that got big enough that Lanning actually had to kind of put out the, hey, we're going to run it back you know, he, he put out the run it back tweet because that was a big enough deal that he felt like he needed to in the case of Schumann I don't even think he needs to do that right I mean obviously at this point in time you know doesn't need to do that at all but this notion that somehow Schumann would be drawn to you know going to a place like Alabama it just never took on any legs whatsoever like a lot of situations where you know Ryan Grubb didn't want to be offensive coordinator Glenn Schumann didn't want to be defensive coordinator Cliff Kingsbury I literally don't even think he knows Alabama football exists that that you know, a lot of the so-called savior candidates there uh, just simply weren't considering this really at all, or at least not taking it all that seriously. Maybe Jeremy Pruitt would have. This is probably a situation where Pruitt was just simply unhirable. But a lot of the potential candidates that Alabama thought might be potential saviors for them, they just simply didn't want the job, and it never took on any, you know, substantial conversation beyond just the basic rumor mill at all. One more thing here, and then we'll kind of uh, get ready to wrap things up for today. I think the Miami part of this is really interesting because obviously Kevin Steele is leaving Miami. And, you know, Miami has a lot of turmoil with its coaches at a time in which they are very open about how much money they're willing to spend to buy players. Like John Ruiz, the booster down there on the NIL front, is very open about this. He talks a lot about it. Clearly, Miami has put a big emphasis on buying players and trying to get the right players in the program. And it seems like by comparison, they're just a little bit less interested in coaches. And I got to tell you, I don't think that's a very smart idea. And I realize that that talent's the name of the game and Jimmy's and Joe's X's and O's and all that kind of stuff. I, I totally realize you've got to have good players if you truly want to succeed. But Miami is undertaking an experiment, whether they know it or not, of how much kind of turmoil can you have with a coaching staff while also trying to build a winning organization? We talk, I mean, any coach that's ever spoken to a coaching clinic talks about how much culture matters. Does Miami have any culture at all to speak of other than, hey, we'll pay players to get them to come here? Maybe they do, but from the outside looking in, it's sort of hard to see that being the case. I mean, two years ago, Josh Gaddis won the Brawls Award. He got fired at Miami this year. You know, Kevin Steele was brought in to run that defense after a pretty exhausting coaching start. They've spent tons of money to buy guys out bring guys in and now they lost both coordinators again in in this case still making the lateral move to uh, go to Alabama probably an upgrade for him in terms of of, chances of winning but it's still the same job one place the same job at the other and a lot of this feels very weird and it also I think kind of impacts Mario Cristobal a little bit too you know Cristobal a few years ago had his chance to be the next big thing as a college head coach But his time at Oregon was not successful. They had awful offensive performance. They really never won anything of note, despite the fact that they kind of brought some players in. And obviously, Cristobal had a little bit of a kind of a tough, hard-nosed mindset there, kind of a little bit different with the rest of the Pac-12. But ultimately, Oregon wasn't winning anything with Cristobal as head coach. And then he kind of got the chance to leave there, come to Miami with a chance to be the savior. And thus far, that's not happening at all, no matter how many players they've had bought for them by John Ruiz. The coaching situation at Miami is really, really interesting. And maybe some of those Miami boosters might want to think about trying to do something to help stabilize that coaching situation. They are losing coaches left and right year after year after year. Stabilize that coaching situation concurrent to all of the stuff they're trying to do with NIL. Players with no coaches I'm not really quite so sure that's a great recipe necessarily, and uh, Miami, the on-field resort, will certainly suggest that is the case, and we will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. So, by the way, speaking of all of this going on in Alabama, as you might imagine, that is also the subject of our golden shoe for today there as well, our buddy Mad Dog, who's always so funny with this kind of stuff. Shares Pinocchio here. Uh, he says, when Bama fans say, we don't want Glenn Schumann anyway, hashtag golden shoe. And you see the Bama Nick Saban straw hat on with the Pinocchio nose growing longer and longer and longer because that's clearly a, a lie. Yeah, Alabama fans may be telling themselves a lot of stories here right now to make themselves feel a little bit better, to sleep a little better at night there. Mad Dog, that's pretty funny. Uh, well done there on the golden shoe for today. By the way, lousy, stinking gators. We talked about them on the show. It's kind of sad that actually Florida is so irrelevant that we almost don't talk about them much anymore except for the Gator Hater Countdown. Today they at least made the show because of what uh, Kenny McIntosh said, but nonetheless, 264 days from right now, Georgia will still show up in Jacksonville, slap them around, beat them again. Uh, That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella, Window, and Door of Georgia. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'll take your comments here via Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or online at DogNation.com. We post the show every day there, and there's a comment section at the bottom. You can go into that comment section and just sort of share your thoughts on the show here. Uh, old Dog weighing in on something we talked about last week, which is the Ryan Day, I'll call it whining, about the um, – uh, you know, the non-call against Javon Bullard, uh, old dog saying there's screenshots out there of the Bullard collision, his shoulders on Harrison's chest. He says the only helmet-to-helmet contact is Harrison's cage uh, with his uh, ear hole. He says when Day says uh, he can't get any answers, he means he can't get the answers he wants. First of all, that's totally true. You go back and listen to the clip we played last week, you know, Day's like, I've asked, nobody will tell me. And then he goes on to cite all the things he's been told as to why it wasn't targeting. Like, I don't think he realized this, but he has been told why it wasn't targeting because it's not. It's not targeting. And uh, Old Dog's right. There's plenty of footage out there on the Internet, slowed down, still frame, whatever else that absolutely uh, demonstrates that. And Day is, frankly, embarrassing himself by keeping this alive. Smart's the man writes in to say when the talent level of the two teams are relatively equal, the difference in winning and losing usually comes down to depth. Would be more constructive for Day and Saban to realize they don't lose a game because one player got injured. They likely lost the game in part because they didn't have any depth left after that one player was lost. That's the beauty of Georgia's receivers by committee approach. There might not be an All American in the bunch, but they're still uh, capable of making plays if one has lost the game. And I get Smart's point on that. I do think that Ohio State's incredibly deep at receiver, but it is obvious that they were not the same team once Harrison went down. And some of that I think probably speaks to. The fact that Ohio State did not have a super effective running game that day, uh, the fact that you know this is a team that had become so dependent on those style of passing plays. You know, Harrison wasn't really the only really good receiver that Ohio State had, but for the most part, Harris was the only guy having a really big game against Georgia. And the overall point is, is that maybe the Ohio State offense just needs a little bit more balance to it. Um, Saint Augustine dog also checking to say there were so many other plays stacked up one on top of the other that led to the dogs' win. He so said, you had a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. How about make a stop, make a play, and uh, not hook a, a game-winning field goal opportunity? Well, all that's very true. He says, UGA, more mentally tough, stronger team in the fourth quarter when it counted. And St. Augustine, in addition to being a wonderful town in Florida, is also very much right about that. G. The Greek writes in to say, I don't recall Javon Bullard playing on offense when we scored all those points in the fourth quarter to take the lead. Uh, very true there indeed. Um. Uh, bdw3184 also talking about George's ability to develop players um yeah so uh well said there on all of that then one more comment i want to read there too going back to Friday's show uh let me see if i can find this where'd this go yeah here it is on friday's show uh red dog one shouting out chris smith because we kind of talked about what smith said about georgia winning third straight national championship our red Dog says that Chris Smith was the anchor of our defensive backfield. Great dog. You better believe a true DGD in every sense of the word. Red Dog, we think the same thing about you. Great commentary there as well. And I appreciate all of you being here for our podcast, Cool Down, here today. You all find RS Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised, the prices promised. You can trust them on all of that. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you the same day. So find them online, rsandrews.com. They'll have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We will look forward to talking to you then.